Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics News Feed. 2023's theme is Circular Cosmetics. This month's topic is industry, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. We started this year asking one important question, is circularity achievable in the cosmetics industry? Throughout the year, and with the help of industry experts, we've explored how companies are integrating this concept into their operations. In this episode, we will discuss the practical steps the industry can take to implement change. But first, let me introduce you to this month's panel. Hello to Richard Cope, Senior Trends Director at Mintel, Jessica Baker, Founder and CEO of Provenance, and a warm welcome back to Joe Chidley, Founder of Re and Beauty Kitchens. Welcome, everybody. Richard, let's start with you. What are the consumer challenges Mintel have been tracking and where are the opportunities for a circular cosmetics industry? One of the main challenges is understanding levels about packaging materials, understanding levels about recyclability. For example, the majority of consumers admit they don't understand or realize the fact that possibly in some cases, plastic might be a lower impact material than paper, for example. They also don't understand the realities about things which claim to be recyclable, things that claim to be biodegradable, whether they actually are or not. Those things like soft, flexible packaging or compostable packaging, which claims to be less impactful, they don't really understand. That's probably not the case unless there's some very specific infrastructure nearby, which there probably isn't. So one of the main challenges is understanding levels. And I think the industry has obviously got a job to sort of help people understand the realities of that. The industry really has a job to help contribute to that infrastructure, which is required. So understanding levels is one thing. Something else we're seeing in our research is plastic pollution and even waste pollution in general are being deprioritized a little bit by consumers as leading environmental concerns. I think ocean plastics, it sounds silly to say this, but in some ways it's done a great job. You know, it's been the kind of poster boy, poster girl for the entire sort of awakening, I think, of a generation of people around environmental issues. But when we ask people about their priorities, it's being overtaken by more pressing things like water shortages or food shortages and things like that. So consumers are getting a lot more focused on resources the things they think impact directly on their spending power, impact directly on their health. We need to talk about packaging in those terms, I think, to make it resonate a little bit more with consumers. And what are the consumer challenges for provenance, Jesse? Yeah, totally agree with, with Richard. But I think building on that, you know, we're coming the problem from a transparency point of view. So looking at what information consumers have in order to pick a product that is better for, for the planet from a circularity point of view. I think there's a few things here. One is greenwash. We see 53% of green claims in the market are misleading. So the reality is if you're a consumer and you want to try and make a, a good decision and buy a product that is on its way to circularity, and apart from the brilliant work that Joe's doing at Beauty Kitchen, I'm, I'm yet to see many brands that are really kind of grazing circularity uh, genuinely. We need to go on the way there, you know, progress over perfection uh, and even understanding the recyclability of a product is quite difficult uh, when it's dressed up in, in marketing language. So that's one challenge. I think the other thing is just overcoming consumer sort of skepticism and you know, good intentions, bad actions. You know, I think, um, I think we see something in the studies like 73% of consumers believe eco-friendly claims have become a bit of a marketing gimmick. And actually, it's hard to really know what to believe or trust, which is terrible kind of 
stops people from having agency to create change. Um, and then just the classic people not following up, not refilling stuff, not following up with their actions. There's a lot of kind of behavior change standing in the way, but a lot of exciting opportunities as well. We see the market is changing very much. Consumers are waking up and demanding sustainability from brands led by Gen Z, who will become the largest income group by 2030. So yeah, lots to play for and exciting innovation ahead, but yeah, still got a lot of work to do. And in 2023, Joe, what are the consumer challenges at Beauty Kitchen? So I think for us, really building on what's already been said, I think business needs to take a responsibility here. And we know that it's the single-use nature, irrespective of what the material is. We also know that recycling doesn't work. And unfortunately, for the recycling community, it causes more confusion than, than good. So I think there's an opportunity to be able to leapfrog, but that does mean that everyone has to play their part. And I think that's where legislation, certification can really help to mould what that can be. And we've obviously been big advocates of certification as well as the principles for certain certifications. But I think the easiest route for anyone that wants to do something better, particularly within the circular economy and particularly within packaging, is really just to think, is this material or this piece of packaging able to be returned and can it be reused? There's consumer research that's recently come out from city to sea and that gives lots of positivity in terms of who is more inclined towards sustainability. So not just saying, I want to be more sustainable because I want to be a good person. That is everybody. But turning that thought into action. And what we've found is that the materials that are already possibly set up for reuse and returnability, so your aluminium, your glass, your stainless steel, there's a preference from the consumer base and there's a brand loyalty that is coming with that. And I think that's the way that we can bring together the big systemic changes that need to happen alongside engaging with the end customer, the end user, but also give a reassurance to those businesses that are trying to make that move from a linear to a more circular way of doing business. And Richard? What are the technical challenges that Mintel have been tracking and where are the opportunities for a circular cosmetics industry? Well, I think we touched on one of the big issues in the previous discussion. So the lack of infrastructure, I think, is one of the, one of the massive uh, challenges. The fact that we're talking about quite sophisticated processes as well makes it very difficult from a consumer perspective to grasp uh, the realities of things. I think generally, one of the challenges when we talk about anything around localities is Consumers have a bit of an aversion to anything which is scientific. And I think one of the real challenges around packaging to a degree, in my belief, is that consumers have this inherent trust in natural. So at the moment, we have a lot of companies pushing things which might not be less impactful, which, as we talked about, claim to be biodegradable, claim to be compostable, or they're pushing paper as the solution. And consumers blithely trust in that, even though natural is finite, natural is very resource intensive. So I think that's one of the problems. Anything which is scientific or synthetic. Consumers have a little bit of an aversion to the big irony in sustainability we see is that they're very trusting in natural things about thinking about 
the fact that natural doesn't mean pure, you know, natural has an impact on the environment. I think the other technical challenge is a lot around the processes. You know, a lot of what we're talking about, I mean, yeah, I'm sure everybody here agrees that closing the loop is the ideal thing. Recycling should be a last resort. But when it comes to things like something that seems as simple and perfunctory to do as embracing sort of refill um, technologies or processes, that's actually quite a challenge uh, if you're a consumer. You know, the convenience with curbside recycling being collected, whether or not it works, is just superior to the um, other possibly less impactful alternative being on offer. So we have to sort of make these things comprehensible for people. We have to make them transparent for people. They can see that these things are actually working. We have to make them as easy as possible to do. It's like when we talk about trying to get people to purchase less impactful products, you know, we need to tick the boxes of quality and convenience and all those other things first and foremost. And that's the challenge about all the processes we're talking about here today. They have to be very easy to do, very easy to understand. Otherwise, people are not suddenly going to embrace them. Thinking about processes, Jesse, what are the technical challenges at Provenance? I think Richard covered it well. I guess from our point of view, we're looking at the process of how you talk about the impact that your product and product packaging is having. So from that point of view, there's a technical challenge in trying to get all brands and retailers to use the same standards when communicating about their kind of waste-related claims. Because otherwise, if everyone's not singing from the same hymn sheet, it's very, very difficult to drive a race to the top being circularity, which we are very far from in my point of view. The reality is kind of confusion is meaning that, yeah, brands are, are sometimes not always making positive change and, and getting credit uh, for, for seeming like they are. And then vice versa, you know, brands that are making incredible leaps and really putting their neck on the line for to innovate in service of circularity aren't always getting the credit they deserve uh, and the recognition in the market from consumers, the industry, et cetera. The other big challenge I see is logistics and lack of industry collaboration. You know, the reality is packaging design is still a key differentiator for a product, which is ridiculous when you think about it. It actually, in the beauty industry, doesn't provide any real functionality or very limited usually. So yeah, it, and I think that stops uniform formats for everyone to, to adopt, which is, yeah, a real shame. And then I know we'll get to this later, but I think regulation is just too few and too weak. Extended producer responsibility is essential. You know, we just saw a study come out, uh, what was it, this week by Greenpeace. Unilever produced 53 billion plastic sachets in 2023 at 1,700 per second. You can't stop that kind of flow of non-recyclable plastic without some serious crackdowns on, on regulation. But in the technical side, I do think there's some ch opportunities. One I just wanted to flag quickly is retailers. I think retailers have got a huge responsibility to drive this, to try and push brands to kind of uh, more standardized formats and recyclable materials in their products and packaging. They're great conveners for lots and lots of brands. And so I'd really like to see, see that really jump forward. Lo lots of our retailer customers have done a lot of work on recycling, Colt Beauty in the UK and in the US and beauty heroes particularly have really, really pushed for trying to encourage brands to um, enable more recyclable packaging. But I think they need to be a lot more radical. I love things like Bauer Collective and Startup that is, uh, the whole premise is, is let's, you know, eliminate packaging and make everything um, reusable, returnable. So yeah, more of that innovation coming from mainstream retail, I think could be really exciting. And for your brand, Joe, what are the technical challenges? 
So I think Beauty Kitchen is has been at the forefront because we've used Beauty Kitchen as a vehicle to demonstrate what you mentioned at the very beginning, which was called Re, but is, has recently now had a rebrand. We are now called Reposit. And Beauty Kitchen then has had the understanding of how do we ensure that the packaging can be truly circular? And that's where Reposit is the packaging as a service is available to lots of other brands. And we are working with the likes of Marks and Spencer's, Lush. We're also working with Unilever, which was mentioned earlier. And this point about standardization, I find, I try not to laugh too loudly about it when we hear about it from brands and, and it being a brand identity, because we've done all of the data work. And if you look at liquid formats, whether that's body wash, shampoo or conditioner, for example, 83% of those products sit within a 200 to 300 mil. So they're already very standardized. And everybody has seen the 250 mil Boston round in plastic. And when you see it in a returnable alternative in 100% recycled aluminium, yeah, it looks very much the same. The only difference being is that you ne you can't necessarily see through the packaging to see the colour of the product. But a lot of the times in the plastic, they have it as a coloured plastic anyway because they don't people don't want you to see the colour of their shampoo or conditioner because generally they tend to be white or a colour that's not necessarily that attractive. So I think there's a lot of debunking the myth within the industry that we've been on a journey with Beauty Kitchen that then gives us the credibility to talk to these much larger organisations of understanding the pains that they need to go through, but also having a good understanding of how the end user and customer, consumer, you know, whatever we want to call them, interacts with that product. And that's where I think packaging as a service, digital technology, and leveraging that, the amount of loyalty um, gives a whole different aspect to the commercials that sit within our industry while nudging and pushing and cajoling the industry to move to more circular business models. Thinking about moving towards more circular business models, Richard, what are the environmental challenges Mintel have been tracking and where are the opportunities for a circular cosmetics industry? Well, I think what we need to do in circularity is we need to sort of, it's a big challenge, but take the sort of life cycle assessment approach and actually communicate the realities of that to consumers. We asked people, we did a life cycle assessment style question to ask consumers where they think the impact is greatest in the typical journey of a, a product. I think we use coffee as our sort of universal product and they are focused on end of life wrongly in most cases. I think end of life is where the impact is greatest in terms of waste, in terms of energy and everything else. And I would argue that a lot of consumer-facing businesses, it, it suited them to sort of push that agenda and not talk about sourcing, particularly in food, where you know so much of uh, the impact is in, is in the supply chain there. So I think that's one of the challenges because the reality is that consumers, to their credit, they do understand and tell us that the third most important factor when they are choosing to buy a good is um, whether the packaging performs well. Does the packaging protect the product inside and all those, um, all that energy and all those inputs we've gone into creating that. They do prioritize that 
context ahead of whether the packaging has been responsibly sourced or even ahead of when the packaging can be recycled. So they're kind of on the money with that in that common sense approach. So I think that does create opportunities. Really, I think the challenge is talking about or getting people to understand the truths of, you know, what is the lowest impact solution in terms of the amount of energy or water which goes into recycling one material over another. And it's very rare for brands to maybe argue, you know, this is why we use recyclable plastic rather than another material because the impact is lower. So it's a big challenge in terms of communicating those environmental truths to consumers. I think so far, not just the beauty industry, but most consumer facing industries have been just happy to have a very sort of simple anti-plastic message or not really sort of, you know, talk about a sort of biodegradable message, which is not about engaging the issues. Still, that still sorts of kind of disposable mentality. So I think they're the challenges uh, which really need to be overcome is somehow crystallize those LCA realities um, on pack, if possible, to consumers. In thinking about communicating realities, Jess, what are the environmental challenges at Provenant? Yeah, I totally agree with what Richard was saying. It's I think there's a lot of discussion on the impact of products, but actually when you get down to it and look at how many brands are really measuring the carbon impact of their uh, product and packaging it's very very few lots of people you know really great to see are adopting lcas at a brand level and you know starting to be more carbon conscious for scope one and scope two but scope three and their supply chain the reality behind the production of their products and the end of life of their products it's very rare to see and when we do see it it's a kit usually built up with secondary data so it's a bit of a finger in the air for what could be the, the carbon impact of a product. So basically, I really, I really agree with Richard. I think we need to get to a state where everyone is is measuring the impact of products and that is showcased and uniform to the world so that we can all start to understand and compare contrast and different products easily. But I think, you know, a, a job we're doing at Provenance is hoovering up the data from different LCA and carbon measurement services and trying to unify them into retailer environments, for example, because the reality is we can't enforce the same LCA tool across every single brand sold by a particular retailer. That's just going to create a lot of extra work. So yeah, there's an interoperability job to be done, which is what we're working on in order to take that environmental data that the brand has gathered and make it accessible to the consumer at the point of sale through a multi-brand retailer environment, for example. Other environmental challenges I see are we just consume too much stuff. I'm a really big fan of businesses that are creating kind of multifunctional products and trying to sell you less, uh, better products. I think we've got quite a long way to go on that front. And then, yeah, I mean, opportunities on the environmental side, you know, I do think there's a very strong business case for investing in this uh, as a business. Sustainably marketed products go three times faster than the rest of the market. So there is a business case for for getting this. And and I do think sustainability will become core to all of the functions um, across and cosmetics and and beauty businesses uh, over time. And then, yeah, I guess, you know, I see lots of cool innovation like Joe's doing, um, but also other kind of returnable concierge services for various different other types of packaging. So yeah, there's a lot of fantastic innovation out there. So the the solutions here, it's just, we need to get it um, to be, yeah, much more widely adopted. And in 2023, Joe, what are the environmental challenges at beauty kitchens? So I think if we just build on what Jesse said there, I think if you take the single-use packaging industry, and it doesn't matter what material that is, 
what it's had is it's had nearly a hundred years of empirical efficiencies, yeah, to make it really, really cheap. Yeah, the lightest it can be, the cheapest it can be, so that it is accessible. And if we then look at a circular business model, yeah, there has to be the commercials that that bring that. And that's where there was another phrase that, that Jesse said earlier in terms of this progress over perfection, because we are never going to, in returnables, you're never going to get that 100 years in a short space of time. But what you can do is you can tackle the sort of lower hanging fruit, if that makes sense. And that's where it's really interesting for our industry because all of the research, all of the reports, everything that's out there is saying that the personal care industry alongside the home care industry is where consumers are more likely to make those changes easily or see that as an easy change. And that's where Beauty Kitchen's environmental impact is negligible. We're so small, it doesn't matter. But the impact of Reposit, because of those large global organisations that we are currently working with, the actual changes that could happen with that packaging as a service and is already happening. If we take Marks and Spencers as an example, that's been 13 SKUs in seven stores. It's going to 30 SKUs in 25 stores, which is over 350,000 pieces of packaging that will be in a returnable system. Yeah, and that just shows you that this is still just a drop in the ocean because the packaging industry is a $1 trillion annual industry. And within that, $900 billion is downcycled. It's ripe for opportunity to be able to change that narrative. And that means that the planet at large then has some kind of democratic vote because we're talking about the language of profit. And that's really what has to change because at the end of the day, the planet doesn't have a vote at the moment. We have to do that for it. And that's why we are trying to tackle that by being a smaller player that sells to much larger players so that environmental impact is much bigger. And thinking about progress over perfection, Richard, what are the regulatory challenges that Mintel have been tracking and where are the opportunities for a circular cosmetics industry? I'm probably not the one particularly well-versed to talk about specific legislation, but from the consumer research, I think it's important to say, we ask consumers, you know, who do you think is most responsible you know, on a host of issues, um, whether it's themselves, the government or companies, and actually, um, you know, reducing packaging waste is one of the few areas where they actually say um, companies are held most responsible by consumers, but even more so than government, which is obviously bad news for packaging companies who have that legislation coming their way. But I, I think legislation, you know, hitting people with a stick is obviously part of the story. But, you know, to bring the consumers into it, I think there's an analogous situation here to what we see with governments wanting consumers to transition to electric vehicles or governments wanting consumers to transition to cleaner energy in their homes. We need to give people some incentives around this. We need to reward and incentivize that behavior. And that goes to packaging as much as, you know, um, on a daily behavior, as much as it goes for, um, you know, giving people incentives, transition, something like a heat pump. So I think that's something that needs to come with any kind of legislation, whether that's consumer facing or, or business facing. The other thing I'd say in terms of the opportunities, I think regulations in terms of packaging messaging could create an opportunity, certainly from a consumer perspective, 
we asked people what would convince them to consider uh, purchasing a product which claims to be less impactful, more responsible. And the thing people want most of all, I think 41% of our sample say they want Nutri-Score type labeling. They want a clear color-coded or, or one to five scored um, eco-score, if you like, for a product. That's what they want to see. And obviously France is the best place to, to go for looking at examples of that. You know, they do have state database methodology behind their eco schools, their planet schools in technology. They also have a industrial repairability as well to tell you grading the longevity, the durability of technology products. So I think from a consumer perspective, they do want to see that kind of regulated state methodology behind some good communications, um, ideally a single communication on pack of how impactful the product is. Because otherwise, if we're going down the road of having you know, multiple five, six, seven different certificates on a product. That's just destroying the initial objective. So I think consumers want regulation uh, in labeling and communications, as well as some you know, incentive or reward culture to encourage them to change their behavior. On. And for you, Jesse, at Provenance, what are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities? Fading on Richard's point, I think, actually, personally, from, I, I think, the regulation landscape has, has come on kind of leaps and bounds over the past two years. There's been some really fantastic regulations put out there on green claims throughout the EU and also in the UK with the Competition and Markets Authority Green Claims Code. Also in the US, they're starting to do something similar through the, the FTC. Um, it's still early days, though, and the big issue is enforcement. We're a long way away before fines are really being handed out left and center, but they are threatening to find up to 4% of turnover for misleading uh, claims. So that would cover things like circularity and packaging waste, et cetera, type claims. I think that's very encouraging. I agree with Richard though. I think if we were really going to move the dial, we need to make this as simple as possible for everyone to understand what's good and what's bad. I do think that's a complex problem to solve. We uh, at Providence have decided to focus on that sort of data and interoperability challenge to start with. How can we get all of this information to be at the same consistent standard so that when you see recyclable packaging, it means the same everywhere rather than that brand's interpretation of whether it's recyclable, which may or may may not include the top, for example. So trying to get that consistency in how those claims are created first and the data behind it. And then I'm incredibly excited for a future where that ladders up to, you know, potentially a, a government regulated neutral types type thing as we had in the UK for, for calories and a nutritional value, of course. See, it's such a that future. And other fantastic regulatory challenges coming through as well in the supply chain, you know, extended producer responsibility is just my favorite. I know I really can't wait for that to, to kick in. I know a lot of it's going on in electronics to start with, but that really could apply to everything. And then those, you know, those, those 53 billion sachets would actually be Unilever's problem, not where they've been left in the waste. Um, so I, I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I guess opportunities. I think if you're a beauty business, a brand or a retailer, it's get in front of this stuff. Make sure you're making claims that are credible, that meet regulation to avoid a fine, but also the reputational damage that greenwash can do to your business. And, you know, that's really not that complicated. Make sure you're just using simple, consistent standards. And, you know, if you are investing in this stuff, talk about it in in the right kind of way, um, which is, means that we can turn sustainability from a cost center, you know, in, into a profit center. And for you, Joe, at Reposit and Beauty Kitchens, what are the regulatory challenges in 2023? So 
I'm not going to build on what the guys have previously said because there is a lot of change that's happening, particularly in Europe. And although the UK is not part of Europe anymore, we will still look to there because they are still our biggest trading partners. What I think is exciting is that some of the multi-attribute certifications like B Corp and Cradle to Cradle, for example, if you are either certified by them or you're following their principles, they obviously have different think tanks that are looking beyond what that legislation is so that you can future-proof your own business by being part of that community. And, and I think that is a different way of looking at certification where it can actually be used as a, a, a big add-on to any trade organisation that you're already part of. And you can actually then influence what that regulatory change may be and turn that into an opportunity. And if we take B Corp, there is the B Beauty Coalition, which is, you know, everyone that's in the personal care industry that's certified as a B Corp. We have come together as a coalition to be able to drive change. So if we take something that's not packaging, but if we take the microplastics legislation that we have a certain length of time to ensure that our formulations are fit for purpose, if we are doing that as a coalition and doing that together, that means the large organisations can support the smaller organisations. And to a certain extent, the smaller organisations like Beauty Kitchen can mentor the larger organisations because we already formulate in that way. And I think finding that symbiotic relationship between businesses, large and small, is again part of that circular business model of, of you know, to use B Corp's old term, using business as a force for good. And thinking of using business for a force of good, how can the industry future-proof and what does progress look like, Richard? My council recycling Tetra Pak would be a start. I don't mean to be glib, but I think that's part of what everyone's talking about in terms of universal things. We need coherence, you know, we need things to pull together and make things more coherent in terms of that. I think some of the clearer labelling we talked about, it would be nice to see people sort of come together and cooperate and get a uniform system going as well. I think one of the big things I've talked about as far as consumers go, I think the biggest consumer need is education. So for me, I'd like to see governments as well as brands do more to sort of engage people on the realities and educate people on the, on the realities rather than just trying to get away with just having maybe sort of empty plastic free or contains reclaimed ocean plastic or empty compostable claims. So I'd like to see more brands sort of engage people and, and educate consumers on the realities of things. Um, that's definitely what I'd like to see from the consumer perspective. And Jesse, at Provenance, what does progress look like? I guess at Provenance, you know, for us, it's more brands in the beauty and cosmetics industries being transparent on the impact of their products. The key phrase, progress on perfection, you don't need to boil the ocean to start with and do everything, but just making simple claims about your brand, about your product in a consistent, credible way. That's our goal. Like next year, we're going to be launching some pretty big retailers in the UK that are now using provenance in order to share sustainability information. So we're really excited to, yeah, I guess hit a whole, hit a whole new era of kind of powering claims in a mainstream retail environment, which I'm really excited by. And then, yes, pushing off beyond that to start to standardize things into a consistent you know, score or set of scores, um, I'm really excited by. On a personal level, I, I do think we need to get back to basics. Um, and I, I'd like to see more brands using simple materials, using uh, reuse systems, 
like what Joe's doing at Reposit. And I think also just a really basic thing is I'd love to go to people's houses and see that they have two bins in the bathroom so that they're actually recycling um, products, um, packaging, um, beauty packaging, because that is one of my bugbears. It's just only one bin in the bathroom, so it all just goes in the trash. And Joe, for you, what does progress look like? Progress for me is to be able to see whether that's online or in bricks and mortar, an alternative to single-use packaging. As an end user, that, that choice is made available and that's it. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Richard, Jesse and Joe, for joining me today and to you for listening.